long time ago, we were just stuck on an hourly rate model or just discounting our way to try and maintain client relationships. And now that we have business professionals that are the partners of these partners inside the firm, we're able to arm them with so many more tools and knowledge to allow flexibility in their client relationships and help grow them and nurture them in ways that they weren't able to do so before. Welcome to Pricing Matters, a podcast by Digitary Legal. Digitary is a data analytics and cost management platform and service, bringing data-driven pricing and cost prediction to law. My name is Aurelia Spivey, and I will be your host as we speak to leaders who are making an impact in legal pricing, discuss market trends, and find out from them why pricing matters. Welcome to the Pricing Matters podcast. Our guest this morning is Paul V. Sungvi. She is the Director of Strategic Pricing at Paul Hastings. Paul V., thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I always like to start at the beginning. I think it's very helpful for our listeners to hear a little bit about your background and you know how you found your way into legal pricing. So tell us a little bit more about that. Absolutely. Um, I think it's always interesting to hear everyone's journey because it's such a a little niche in the legal world. Um, I was uh, living in Washington, D.C., and I just finished my MBA, and I was eager to move away from corporate America. I worked for a consumer product company prior to that, and I wanted to use my analytical skills, but in a different sense. Um, and one of the recruiters I was working with, he came to me and said, hey, have you ever thought about working for a law firm? And I thought, what would I possibly do for a law firm? And he kind of educated me on the business side of the firm and the finance and the pricing and all. And this was probably 2004, 2005. And I fell into a role that was more of a traditional financial planning and reporting role. And then it morphed into um, billing rates and pricing and learning all about that. And it was, uh, you know, from there I got hired away by uh, the COO of Howry, which no longer exists. Um, but we had a chance to create a department there that led to answering a lot of the questions that uh, traditional pricing specialists do now with respect to um, partnering with our business partners in the firm um, and our law firm partners to answer their clients' questions, whether it be putting together a budget, helping answer some kind of a need from a, a fee arrangement standpoint, helping understand how uh, alternative fee arrangements work, um, setting and maintaining hourly rates, um, managing profit. I mean, it, it kind of runs the spectrum now, but it all kind of started way back when it didn't really have a name. And when I had gotten hired into Howry at the time, he even told me, I don't even have a job description. It's just a lot of white space, but here's what I think we need. What do you think? And it sounded really intriguing and I just kind of fell into it and have, um, you know, here I am now four firms later and it's just been a really, really cool experience to go into each of these firms. Um, most of the time they haven't had a formal function or a person doing what I do. So I get the chance to, you know, put the, put the art on the canvas and figure out how the team should run. What are the best practices? How do we, um, you know, make the partnership a little bit better and a little bit more business minded. Um, and so that's, that's sort of been my gig. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about uh, 
Peastery. I know that you're one of the founders there and particularly about the Women's Initiative Network. So it would be great if you could tell us a little bit about that experience of setting that up and, you know, what you've learned from creating that network. Sure. Um, was about, I, I want to say, the fifth conference, um, and we were approaching planning it. And uh, Christina Lambright and I helped co-found the Women's Initiative Network within the P3 Network to enable a chance for women to get together. Um, and it wasn't just for women. We don't want to be exclusive in any way. But uh, with all of the importance that's being placed on diversity and inclusion and um, also the unconscious bias training and everything, there's been so much more that's opened up with regard to understanding that there's a need for networking, there's a need for mentorship, there's a need for getting like-minded people together so that you can really make connections that otherwise might not be made really easily. And we have all these really smart and amazing people coming to this conference. Um, But we realize a lot of times people might not necessarily have a mentor built in at work or people might not know what a career path could be for them. And so the goal was to get a lot of people together, um, especially the women in, in this world, because we are outnumbered by men. And Mm -hmm. so get them together and just get a forum started where we can talk about how do we empower each other? How do we help each other? How do we just get more information to each other more than anything? Um, And that's sort of the, the need um, that Christina and I felt was really necessary, you know, sort of why we wanted to start. And tell me a little bit about, um, you know, were you able to sort of take that from the conference and, you know, connect um, after the event? Has, Has that been something that you've been able to do, you know, building that foundation? It's, it's a work in progress <laughs> building because uh, most of us are doing this sort of on a volunteer basis, right? So it gets a little hard um, with timing. But one of the things that we have done is we've made connections with mentors. Um, and more than anything, it's being able to connect people and just, you know, you see them as touch, at touch points during the conference. And then you're able to relate to them and connect with them throughout the course of the year. But we do have a formal mentoring program that we started that allows for people to purposefully connect. Um, and we try to pair people up, those that have a little bit more experience with those that have a little less so that we can help um, create a, a vehicle by which they can, you know, connect and, and people who may not have been in the field for as long can learn from those that have and um, those that have can have a way to pay it forward. So that's sort of what the intent was. At Clark, uh, Justin Bergler, he gave a real big shout out to the P3 conference and mm-hmm. he called it the clock for pricing directors. But mm-hmm. he also recommended, you know, clients should be attending that conference. So, you know, from your perspective, hopefully you agree with him. And, you know, what do you think clients can learn from attending P3? Oh, I absolutely do agree with him. And I'm really appreciative to Justin <laughs> for giving us that shout out. Um, the... And what we think is a great takeaway is the networking and the connections that we can make. Uh, there are a lot of sharing of best practices and we are so fortunate with the clients that do come and attend with the candor at which they're able to share experiences. They can really just come down and, and very humbly tell us, you know, this, this is what works for us. This is what doesn't work for us. How do we get to a point where we can work better together? Um, and hearing, we try to highlight the best practices that are out there 
are some, you know, unique client law firm relationships that exist. We try to highlight them so other people can learn from them too. Um, and it makes the client voice very accessible in our setting as well. Um, we're a smaller group than clock. Um, and so for us, it's, it's just easy to kind of get people to navigate around and, and make those connections. But the key reason was really just to hear their voice and hear their perspectives. And that helps us bridge the gaps from our end when we're trying to be a better service provider. So we really enjoy having, having them at our conference so we can learn. Um, and if there are others out there that want to come, I mean, I think that's the, the main takeaway is just we'd be able to collaborate a little bit more about how do we make things better. How can I help you make that RFP process better? You know, just just starting from there. How can I help you with a problem that you might have with law firms that we as pricing may not even understand? Maybe it's a billing related issue, but I can help you help you. I can be a conduit to you, you know, to help you figure out how to solve that problem. So um, we hope to have more of those aha moments with people attending in the future. So I'd, I'd love to know if you have any sort of examples of where, you know, you and your team have engaged with the clients in the process? Sure. Um, what I've noticed is the evolution of my role is that I'm a lot more client facing now than I was when I first started. And it's, it's become a really neat aspect of the law firm client relationship in that we have another point of contact. So my, a lot of our big clients, um, will have a big legal ops department and it's almost become second nature for the partners now within my firm to say, okay, well you have legal ops and I have Corby and we're going to connect you two and you guys will meet on your own and figure things out on the business side. And I will meet with the in-house team on my side and I'll figure out things on the legal side. And it helps uh, to create more connections and uh, strengthen the relationship that we have with the client overall. Um, and what that has led to is in one example, I have weekly client meetings with the person from legal ops where I am on the phone with them um, just talking about business side issues and helping to connect the dots on things that just haven't hadn't gotten done or things that were coming down the pike. So we're able to be better at budgeting and, you know, forecasting accruals and cleaning up issues um, that might exist on the uh, business side of the relationship. Another example is that I'm invited to quarterly business review meetings for some of our other um, clients where it's just very natural for me to be part of it um, and just be another voice in the room to hear what they're saying so that I can understand and get the feedback straight hand. You know, what are we doing well? What can we do, be doing better? And it helps me selfishly because I understand more about the relationship and I love learning more about the strategy behind why they're a client of ours and what we can do. And, you know, that, that um, goes more into the business development side of this role. Um, and then I really enjoy being able to help support, you know, questions that they might have from a financial angle because it helps alleviate the pressure on the partners to have to have the answers for everything, you know, and it really shows them that we've got dedicated resources at our firm to help manage this relationship. It's not just a, a one person managing it all kind of thing. So um, it's been a really nice uh, sort of evolution in where our roles have gone. I love hearing that. And it, it makes so much sense from a business perspective to have yeah. you know, that collaboration in the room. Um, so 
I want to switch back again to one last question about P3. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about um, the 2018 panel, which was Whose Fault Is It? And <laughs> it, was, that was it, was fun. it was fun. So tell us, you know, what were your key takeaways? Because I, you know, that was a big uh, Twitter sphere explosion. So I'd love to hear from <laughs> you um, what you recall from that. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that we always say is if you're going to come to one of our conferences, um, it's not going to be just talking head panels. We don't want people's eyes rolling in the back of their heads because they've, you know, fallen asleep at the content we're trying to deliver. We really want to make it interactive and dynamic and people to feel like, well, you know what? I invested time and money to be here and it was really worth it. And yes, I might be behind on my emails at work, but I've got this and that to take away and make my own team better because of my time here. And um, one of the things that we wanted to do for that particular conference was to end it on a high note. And we had this debate style session set up um, where, you know, we just wanted to kind of take the gloves off and, and uh, speak to each other very frankly about what the issues are and just highlighting uh, out there, kind of putting it out there as to what people uh, complain about on the law firm side, what people complain about on the firm side and, and how do we try to change that? You know, what's frustrating to both sides. And it was really neat to hear because um, I don't think anyone took it personally. You know, I think, I think it was a very productive discussion because it brought to light some of the things that we're all challenged with on a day-to-day -day basis and being able to hear it from both sides, from the client side and from the firm side, it, it was nice because now you, you're kind of going into a conversation the next time you meet with your client to say, look, I understand this might be a pain point of yours. Let me tell you about my perspective or vice versa. And it just ends up with a more collaborative discussion. So that was the intent of that. And I think it came off in a very fun way, personally. Fantastic. Tell me, I'm, I'm going to sort of move now a little bit onto, you know, some of the challenges that uh, pricing teams can face. Uh, you know, we, we've talked about pain points a bit. So one of the challenges can be lawyer engagement. So I'd love to hear from you, you know, you've been at a number of firms now, you know, how do you get lawyers engaged with pricing, you know, from the outset on as many matters as you possibly can? Um, well, I think it was fortunate for me when I first started, since the firm didn't have a pricing director prior to my coming here, that when I was introduced to the firm, the mandate, so be it, was that if you have anything that is a non-standard arrangement, please talk to Porvi before you proceed, because she can help you understand uh, the risk benefit profile of what you want to do. Or if you don't know what you want to do, she can help you figure it out. Um, and it was a very simple sort of ask of the partnership. And then it was just up to me to kind of um, win them over to help them understand that I'm I really can add value. I'm not here to be a rubber stamp to just say, okay, 10% discount, move along next. You know, it's, it's more of a dynamic discussion to say, well, what are you trying to achieve? What has a client said? What do you need to do? What's the competitive landscape? Uh, why are we trying to win this work? What will it mean to you? How much negotiation is involved? You know, and the whole evolution of the conversation, but having those kinds of in-depth conversations with each and every partner is a large portion of my role. And that's just time invested because now they'll naturally be inclined to come to me next time just to vet things before
before they move on. And I always tell them it's, it's not a number discussion. Pricing is a strategic discussion. And I'm not here to just bang up on you on metrics. I use data and metrics to help prove certain points about where we want to go, but that's not the only deciding factor when we make a decision and we make a decision together. And that's become a real um, sort of key success factor for my role here in terms of attorney engagement, because now I, I don't feel like I have to force people to come talk to me. They'll naturally want to talk to me. That's some good advice. And if, you know, if you're in a firm or you think uh, that you don't have that support because, you know, it's great to go in and, and you've got that high level support. Any sort mm-hmm. of tactics for people who, who want to get to the position that you're in where people are coming to them um, more often than not? Any sort of practical things you'd you'd advise? (laughs) Well, I mean, if you're able to get your hands on data and do some analysis, and if you have one or two considerations for the relationship partner on how you might be able to make the financial health of the relationship better, pick up a phone, call them and see if that's something they're willing to consider. Um, With other ones, if it's a, a relationship that you have because it was a result of winning an RFP and you're on their panel now, See if there's a legal operations person you can connect with and then make that sort of a a hook um, and a way to get to trying to, you know, be more involved at the client level. Um, Work very, very closely with the business development team so that when there's pitches happening, you're also part of the conversation. I mean, we don't we don't move forward without each other at our firm. So it's it's a neat um, it's a neat alignment to have and, and to try and make sure you're part of those conversations, too. I love that. It's a lot of proactivity and collaboration is what I'm hearing in in those, in those, um, insights. So you talked about data and, um, obviously we talk a lot about data at Digitree as well. So Mm -hmm. I would love to hear from you, you know, how you're leveraging data to increase uh, precision around pricing and, you know, what challenges you might have with data in, in law firms. Well, challenges, there's a lot of it. (laughs) There's a lot of data out there. Um, I think that the, you have to, you have to put a a reality filter on whatever information you're pulling together. Um, And I counsel my team with the same advice day in and day out. You know, there's a lot of information out there. You can pull all kinds of metrics and reports together, but you have to put it into the perspective. You have to put yourself in the perspective of the person you're giving that data to. So if you're giving it to an attorney and they're facing needing to give you a decision, have you given them information in a format that they can digest it quickly? Have you given them the information in a format in which they can um, then make a decision for you or ask a question back to you? If the answer is no, then you need to simplify. You need to simplify. You need to tell them the story of what your numbers are telling you. You need to make it easy for them because it's our job to understand the numbers and it's their job to take our analysis and then react and and do something with it. Um, And once you do that over and over again, you'll find yourself making recommendations and suggestions as to what the ultimate decision should be. And I have partners here who rely on me for that very reason. You know, what do you think I should do? What would you do? You know, and it's, it's a really great place to be because I know that at that point, it's not about the fancy tools and the technology that we've employed in order to get to that place. It's understanding the intersection between data analysis and the relationship with the client 
client and the partner um, and just pulling all that together in order to help move the business process forward. So another challenge that we may come up against is vague RFPs. Um, mm-hmm. How do you deal with those? Do you have any advice for you know people who are still coming up against them and what they could do to make the most of that situation? Ask questions. That would be my main point of uh, advice. Oftentimes you get a vague RFP because it could be coming from a, a client that is not as sophisticated in procuring these kinds of processes. And so it's up to us to partner with them and help them figure out what it is they're asking for. A lot of times they don't know what they don't know. They don't know what they're asking for and they'll kind of throw some things out there but it might not yield the result that they want. And oftentimes what happens is if you don't ask and you answer one way and the firm next to you answers another way and then the client receives a bunch of answers that are just apples and oranges at the end of the day and then they have to figure out how to whittle that down and it yields, you know, months of time lost. No relationship is there. They have to come back and redo it. I mean, it's just, it's just unfortunate overall. Um, so if, if you're seeing something like that come across your desk where it's kind of vague, I usually what I do is I'll get in touch with the relationship partner and talk about, well, what is our relationship like with this client? Are we able to call them and ask for more information? Um, usually there's no harm in doing so. And we're able to glean a little bit more about what the pain point is that the client is trying to solve. So that would be my first suggestion. Um, and then, you know, if you're not able to get more uh, information from the client during that juncture, I would say come forth with a response that you can stand by and um, leave it open because you know that they're going to come back and ask more questions. So that would be that would be my second point of advice. So I'd love to hear from your experience, you know, are there practice areas or types of work that are most suited to alternative fees? And, you know, just generally, how are you dealing with them? Because we hear so much about them. You know, it's um, it's interesting because it still remains that you're looking at things on a case-by-case basis uh, because each engagement can have its own nuances. So it's hard to say that all the time one thing will apply, you know, within one practice area or all the time one thing won't work. Um, that's, that's just not the case. And everything does need to be looked at on an, in, on an individual basis. That being said, um, the trends that I I've seen are sort of where all of this started. So litigation continues to be um, hammered with requests for alternative fees. Anytime an engagement comes through or an RFP is issued, they're really looking at that. And it's just the nature of the work and the way it happens and the chronology in which it happens. It lends itself to being open to fixed fees or phased fixed fees or even success fee arrangements. Um, And there are other areas that employment law in particular, um, where some parts of it are a little bit more price sensitive than others. And so you'll see more requests for alternatives coming out of that area. Um, And then I'm trying to think of what else. Um, I've seen a little bit more in our um, investigations and white collar area. 
Um, those, those are the ones I can think of off the top of my head, you know, that seem to be able to be malleable for working in these alternative fee arrangements. Um, that being said, I'm, I'm sure I've done them for corporate for real estate for, you know, other areas. It's just, those were the three most prevalent that sort of stuck out in my head. And do you have any, you know, sort of criteria from your experience that you think make better alternative fees? Like how, how do you make that work for both parties? Scoping and transparency discussions, being upfront about what it is that you're trying to price right now and what's the value that you're trying to derive out of it. What are the goals? And if you can have those upfront discussions and get those expectations laid out, then as you're managing to the the alternative fee arrangement during the course of the engagement, when things change, when scope changes, when more work comes out about it, the secondary conversation is then easier to be had because you've already level set the expectations in the beginning. And so it's a, it's a collaborative discussion. It's a little bit more time invested up front, but it will yield a lot more dividends down the line if you're able to structure it that way. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what you know, we're hearing uh, across the board. It's just taking that time and, and making sure that it is done from the start. Um, so now I'm going to switch gears a little. Um, I want to talk about you know, pricing teams and the pricing you know, skill set required to be in this role. And one of the things that is, is pretty apparent, pricing teams are still pretty small in comparison to, you know, perhaps some of the other teams in the firm. Um, some of the average sizes is, is around two to three people. So, you know, from your experience, how do you, you know, prioritize with, you know, with that number of people? What, what should people be focusing on um, in a small team like that? Well, it gets hard because you often find yourselves uh, reacting to whatever is sort of in front of you at the moment or the, the fire drill that happens that day. And that that's the nature of the role, regardless, regardless of how big or small the team is. So I think what we have to do is we have to keep an eye on the big picture and keep an eye on the proactive projects and the long-term things that we have to do and keep an eye on the um, short-term and turnaround thing, the short turnaround requests that come through and it's it's not easy to walk that tightrope it's a constant challenge but I think if you work with that mindset at the forefront then it will help you prioritize what needs attention right now versus what can what can wait um, we also we're in a service culture so everyone always wants to say yes everyone always wants to say yes and everyone is kind of deadline driven and works at the you know kind of at the last minute pace and you have to sometimes push back and I think that's okay um, you're never saying no like look I, I'm happy to help you but I need to understand what's the request I need you to understand that I've got this and this and this on my plate and then we'll work out how to get you what you need um, and usually that makes it a more human conversation yeah how do you train or, you know, coach more junior members of your team with that pushback? Because that, that can be hard. Yes, it can be hard. And oftentimes it's my job to do the pushback, not theirs. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's, it's understanding, it's coaching them. A lot of the time, it's just if I'm seeing interactions happen on an email where I'm 
copied into the conversation. It's kind of picking up the phone right when it's happening and coaching them through, well, this is how I would have done this. This is how, this is how you should think about this. Um, it's also keeping them in the loop on the bigger picture. Like I make it a very, very stringent point that I have a weekly team meeting with my team and they're, you know, we're kind of scattered all over. So we try to do it via web conference and we talk about things that are happening at a firm level. And then we talk about what's happening to on each of our individual plates. And while there are people in the room that don't have anything to do with task A or task B, it's still very helpful for them to hear what's going on because you never know if they might get asked a side question about that same, that very same task. And they're able to draw some connections and and create some loops based on that. And having that helps them understand what's going on in a bigger picture rather than just what's happening at my desk, at my computer. And, um, and, that that helps with prioritizing tasks that helps with understanding you know who needs what and why um and so that that is really really important to me and i guess the takeaway from that is just communication communication Mm -hmm. is so necessary it's so valid um and people are always learning people are always evolving and just understanding to make sure that that communication loop is there is the key to success with uh small lean teams um, and then just putting a bit of perspective on it, you know, and understanding, yes, there's 10 people, you know, that need things today. Let's figure out together how we tackle them. Um, and just kind of making sure that we're constantly having that conversation. So that helps in training them and coaching them so that three weeks down the line, when they're faced with that same kind of day again, maybe they already have an idea of how to tackle it. Communication being a very important skill. <laughs> so mm-hmm. segue into, you know, what do you think are the most most important skills for uh, people in the pricing um, profession. Analytics obviously are a very important skill. Um, you know, taking taking uh, time to learn. Uh, I would say mid to advanced level Microsoft Excel is always going to win points uh, in this profession. Um, data visualization is becoming a really big thing as well. So if you're able to translate the data from Excel into something that's more visual, that's become really, really key within what we're doing nowadays. Uh, communication, which I just mentioned, um, is a huge thing. And for me, it is all forms of communication. It's the written, it's the oral, the verbal, you know, the, the face-to-face interpretation. And just understanding when you have to use what. Um, oftentimes my team will tell you, I'll see emails happening and I'll reply back to one of them and say, did you pick up the phone and call this person or has this only been on email? And, um, they know me well enough now to always have an answer to say, yes, I tried. And this is what happened or what have you. So I think that's just really important, especially at the onset when you're a junior member of the team or we're a team that's just starting out or you're, tar- you're starting to work with someone that you just haven't worked with as much before that, um, connection that you can make when you have a phone conversation. So the intention of what you're trying to do comes across more clearly. That makes the email conversations that happen afterwards so much more productive, so much more constructive, so much faster. And so I really underscored importance on um, the face-to-face, the, um, the face-to-face or the, just the phone call, you know, just having that. We have video phones in, in our offices. And so oftentimes my phone calls are face-to-face conversations. So I interchange the two a lot, but I really enjoy that aspect of it because you just, you make a connection and it's just an easier conversation to have. 
Absolutely. It's, you know, ultimately boils down to the relationship. Um, to, to be able to advise someone, you have to have a good relationship. We've talked a little bit about some of the challenges that pricing professionals face. You know, are there any others that you can, you can think of and, you know, how you've overcome them or your team's overcome, overcoming some of the challenges that you, know, you experience in this role? Challenges, you know, there's a lot of being a lean team, as most of us are within our firms. And when you're housed in a very large firm, I think one of the challenges is understanding what your blind spots might be. You know, it's, it's, there's a lot of people that come to me for advice and for consultation on how to approach pricing with their um, clients, but there's probably a few that don't. And are they going out the door with some kind of proposal that, you know, I haven't been involved in and what kind of risk does that put the firm at? And it's hard to know, like I said before, you don't know what you don't know. So um, understanding how we just constantly educate our partners to make sure that's not happening um, is, is always key. And, and it's a minority percentage of the time. I don't think it's happening a lot, but it's something that, you know, is a challenge because you, you want to make sure you're at least touching everything that goes out the door in some way, shape or form. So that's, that's a challenge. Um, it would be nicer to have a larger team, I think at times, and just understanding how to kind of lobby for that and, and get support for that. That's something that weighs on me at times. Um, there's a lot of minutia. There's a lot of, um, little steps that need to happen in order to manage and maintain all of our fee arrangements on the technology side. And I don't think a lot of the time the attorneys appreciate uh, what that means. And it's not for not wanting to understand it. I think it's just because they haven't been exposed to it and they don't know. Um, you know, every partner is sort of looking at their book of business and their, their client portfolio and, you know, they make decisions based on what impacts them as they should. But I don't think it's very apparent sometimes where if you multiply that times 200, then what kind of complexity is everyone creating on the system, on the business processes? Have we created something we can't maintain? Are we doing things as efficiently as we could? Um, the efficiency piece is something that plagues me a lot recently. But mm-hmm. I think as, as, a, as an industry of law firms across the globe, we, ha- we all struggle with this because there are lots of business processes that can be strengthened. Um, and now is the time to, to kind of start looking at those. So I would say those are kind of the things that sort of look that I look to as challenges and interesting hurdles to conquer over the next few years. This has been a really, really interesting conversation. And I think our listeners are going to learn and, you know, um, really appreciate hearing from you. And, as the podcast is called Pricing Matters, I do like to end with this question. Paulvi, why does pricing matter to you? Pricing matters to me because it's a very important field within the business side of law that can really help progress uh, the industry and the, the way we provide legal services because you're able to think about things differently. A long time ago, we were just stuck on an hourly rate model or just discounting our way to try and maintain client relationships. And now that we have business professionals that are the partners of these partners inside the firm, we're able to arm them with so many more tools and knowledge to allow flexibility in their client relationships and help grow them and nurture them in ways that they weren't able to do so before. So it's a really value added 
area of, of law firms that I, I really enjoy being a part of. Um, and I love the educational aspect of it, um, being able to teach my team, but being able to also teach the partners and uh, has become really great portion of this role. So I enjoy all of that. Thank you for listening to Pricing Matters, a podcast by Digitory Legal. To find out more about our guests, please visit our podcast page at digitorylegal forward slash pricing matters. If you have any feedback or any guests that you think we should feature, please reach out to me at Aurelia at digitorylegal.com. Thank you for listening. See you next time.